never let down the people who love you. Because if you think about that for every decision, it'll keep you on a good ethical and moral compass. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Guild Stories, the podcast where every person has a story, and it's the stories that connect us all. I'm Justin Rickliffs, founder and CEO of Guild Content, husband of Brooke, and father of five young people. And I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, who happens to be my wife as well. Hey, guys, I'm Brooke, owner of Reclaim the Home, Justin's wife and mother of five. We're so grateful you're here. This podcast is a place where we'll explore the stories of hustlers, dreamers, and doers who are going for it by pursuing meaningful work and living life with purpose. Welcome to Guild Stories. Awesome. So we're joined today by a woman with an incredible story, actually a former boss of mine as well. She runs one of the top tech companies in Kansas City, a company that has seen some tremendous growth, specifically in the last few years, but we'll hear all about her story of growth. She's recognized nationally as running one of the most successful woman and minority-owned businesses in the city. Um, and heck, she was even on Fox News last year talking about policy and, and what the new administration is um, is doing or not doing for entrepreneurship and specifically her business. So this isn't Fox News, but Jeanette Bringer, founder and CEO of Echo Select, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm really excited about being here today. Uh, we're so glad you're here. So we're going to hear all about Echo Select and your business and your challenges and the, the ways you've overcome adversity. Um, but first, give our listeners a quick intro. Where did you grow up? Tell us about your family. Tell us, like, who is Jeanette Pringer? You know, it's kind of interesting because I feel like I'm a Kansas City girl. I've been here since the early 70s, but I was actually born in Portugal in these little islands off the coast of Portugal. Uh, My mother was born and raised in these little islands and met my father when he was in the Air Force. So uh, I was about a year old and my dad... got out of the Air Force, and actually landed a job in technology's early days in an engineering company, and we were in Mallorca, Spain, huh. uh, from the time I was about two until I was almost five. So we'd come back to the States and live on the East Coast, and I'm a transplant via TWA and the relocation of headquarters from New York to Kansas City. That's awesome. So when, when was that? When did you kind of call Casey home? In the early 70s when we moved here, you know, and I always thought, because uh, I, was, I wasn't I was a teenager yet, but I always thought I'd go back to New York. It just it was exciting, and sure. I was in dance, and um, I cannot imagine my life being anywhere but Kansas City. I mean, what a great place to raise a family, great family values, and it's a hotbed for entrepreneurs. It really is. It's been a, it's been a fun journey for sure. So tell us, you mentioned your family. Tell us um, about... The Pringer family, the the Pringer clan. You know, I'm so fortunate. I got to marry my college sweetheart, and we have two boys and six grandchildren. Everybody lives close, and we are really... Even though I'm the founder and owner of Echo Select, I look at Echo Select as part of my extended family because both of my sons and my husband work in the business. We are all working towards something that's more than just ourselves and hopefully will be multi-generational. That's so cool. It's super cool. And, and as a former employee of Echo Select, um, it, 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 that's absolutely true that the family vibe is real from a, from a family lineage perspective that the Pringers are, are involved, not just you. Um, but even beyond that, I think the associates and the employees and the team and the partners all, um, thanks to your leadership, have this very family feel. So I think that's super cool. Well, I like to think of it as putting the fun in dysfunctional. 
<laughs> That's great. What a great quote. What a great quote. So, so you came to KC in the early seventies were raised here in Kansas city, married your college sweetheart. Um, tell us about the beginnings of your career. Like what, where'd you start working? What'd that look like? And, and ultimately kind of tell us the, the launch story of, uh, of echo. You know, um, when I was in college, I actually changed my major because my husband made me so nervous. It was actually a broadcasting major. So huh. doing the radio DJ lab, uh, he would sit outside and it just made me a wreck. Well, my father was an IT manager and he actually sourced programmers out of my university. It was Central Missouri State University. Go Mules. Yeah. <laughs> and Jenny's. And Jenny's, uh, right? <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it was really interesting because he convinced me that learning to write code was mm. just learn like learning another language. And since, you know, I learned Portuguese and Spanish before we moved to the United States it, and also played uh, the piano, it's, it just kind of fit. And I really wish people would think about engineering or uh, software coding as learning a language. It's a different type of language, right? It's a different type of cadence. Um, and I think especially women and girls are a little bit afraid of it. Mm. And it's it, there's something really satisfying about building. And so I uh, changed my major. It was at that time one of three women majoring wow. in what was called data processing and then evolved into management information systems shortly after that. And that's what my degree is in. But I had an internship my senior year as a programmer, and then when uh, we moved to Kansas City, my first job was with Russell Stover's uh, nice, Candies, yeah. and I worked at several companies um, in the Kansas City area and was promoted, you know, uh, in each organization so that uh, when I was um, in my early 30s, I was at Sprint at a really exciting mm. time in the evolution of technology, the internet, and the type of languages that we use in today's world. That's awesome. So, man, I, 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 as you're talking, I thought instantly of our um, eight-year-old, I almost said seven-year-old, but Henley is a second grader down the street here. And she, of course, like everything is around her iPad. They don't have books. I mean, they every, everything's from a technology perspective kind of baked into their, their coursework on, on their iPad. And the other night she's goes, dad, Hey, come here. I want to show you something. And she opens up this app and she starts and I, to me, it li literally did look like Portuguese. It looked like a foreign language to me. <laughs> um, but she was coding as an eight-year-old this game that so on the back end, she coded all of these movements, and then it kind of launched this front front user interface, and it had these people in this classroom moving based on the commands that she had written into the code. And I just thought, holy crap, like as an eight-year-old, she's learning things that her old man has no concept of. Um, and so, so kind of rewind us. I mean, as, as one of three women, I, 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 my guess is, and maybe it's a, a total stereotype, but my guess is at that time, women jumping into this, this coding environment was very foreign. So what was that like for you? You know, um, it really was. I learned assembler language, which is a series of ones and zeros to build commands on key punch cards. So that's how Amazing. antiquated it was. And during, you know, the process, we did get monitors and these old systems and, um, it, you know, people my age remember it. Your daughter and this mm. new generation, they it's it's kind of like, what do you mean you don't have a remote for the TV, right? right? Did right. things just kind of happen? What's a payphone, right? Exactly, right. or a regular landline or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it was just really um, 
an interesting time because even though it's a very male-oriented career, uh, especially mm. uh, the systems part, the operating systems piece, there are um, there are no limits as a woman. Mm. And even though I always worked with a lot of men, uh, I always saw women who were able to do the same work, and they really weren't um, looked at as being less than. Mm. Now, as you go up into executive ranks, there was definitely more men. And in my, um, gosh, early 20s, late 20s, working at TWA, the first woman vice president in IT was promoted into that position. But it was never looked at like, oh, a woman couldn't get there. It was just a matter that there mm. were, um, it's a, it was a numbers thing. Fewer, yeah, yeah. sure. You know, they, just like they say there aren't as many minorities or um, women in engineering or the STEM field, right? Well, that's why then as you move to the top, there's mm. even less. It's, it's a numbers game. And the more people get familiar and comfortable with it, and it's not considered nerdy, and which is right. the other fear, you know. Is, and, and I think that's a, a sure. misconception that a lot of people have, that it's really nerdy. And I hope I don't look like a nerd. <laughs> Far <laughs> from it. Or act like one. <laughs> <laughs> Far from it. That's awesome. So you you rose through the kind of corporate ranks. You you did the Russell Silver thing, and then TWA, and then you land at Sprint. Maybe there's some mm-hmm. other stops in between. Um, give us the kind of birth of your vision like you, you we we have this theme in our business and again we're we're much younger um from a company perspective than you we're only two and a half years into this journey but we talk a lot about going for it we talk a lot about taking a stand we talk a lot about hey like not this crazy you know parachute into the ocean crazy risky jump but calculated smart times when we need to go for it and push and kind of forge a new path so as a minority woman in a very male-dominated field. Tell us your kind of go-for-it story with Echo. So um, remember I said I really don't have much creativity. Like <laughs> I, I didn't like think, oh, I'm so focused. And in college, this is what I'm going to do. And here's my career path. It just kind of evolved. That happened with the birth of Echo. Huh. I had someone who I worked with at TWA, hired him into my group at Sprint, and this is, again, during the birth of the internet and intranet, and we yep. were, uh, our focus was to get a cor- corporate repository okay. onto an intranet. And during that time frame, we had to hire consultants. He came to me and said, why are you not doing this? All these people keep bringing potential resources to us and they don't know what they're talking about and the people they're bringing in don't know what they're talking about so we're having to do double work and yet you're able to hire people in because you know the technical piece of it Mm -hmm. as well as the soft skill piece that's needed Mm -hmm. right and so he and I had a lot of different meetings we were going to do this together he was getting married and his fiance wanted to build a house and I'm like you know what I'm gonna go for it it was one of those things where it was like what's the worst that could happen it doesn't work out and I go back to corporate America the good thing was I knew and this is remember pre Google pre monster LinkedIn all the resources and all the tools and technologies we have today to really help with this business model I had enough of a network because I do like people and I Absolutely. like to connect. And I, and I feel like 
if there's somebody who has the aptitude and the attitude, there's ways you can make them work. And so there are skills also that are transferable. And I found out in technology, just getting people who had the right aptitude and attitude, they figure things out. They just needed to be a little resourceful sometimes if they didn't have all the pieces together. I also knew that I could provide clients with the same type of talent they would get from these big national companies at a much lower price point. And most of it had to do because I just didn't have the overhead. Sure, yeah. <laughs> what was the overhead? If I remember right, weren't didn't you kind of literally start in the basement or the garage or something? Like, what was the first, like, oh, man, like, I'm... I'm employee and owner and and receptionist and salesperson oh, yeah. and like what what was it what were those early days like I, I can show you the corner of the bedroom that I wrote the business plan and then after since I was the first consultant for Echo Select I can tell you exactly what I did on this little modem that had me um, doing my accounting and writing up my proposals and all that stuff it was a corner of my bedroom that's crazy. Where, and and when you guys got going, I mean, tell me kind of the how how was Kevin involved? What was from a support perspective? Was he going? Because I know our story with Brooke was like, she was like, man, I, crazy. You're quitting this big job, and we got five kids, and I, I trust you and I love you, but like, are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> what, what was Kevin's voice and his role in, in this kind of launch plan? I will tell you, I've been so fortunate that I've had such a supportive husband. And a marriage is a partnership. And if you go into it that you guys are partners, it's not about one person or another, these type of things can can be done with knowing what the risks are and then how you mitigate in a worst-case situation. And Kevin was great. Um, early on in our careers, I was the one that – had promotions and a lot more upward mobility. Hmm. He stayed in a job he really didn't like because it offered a lot of flexibility so that our children didn't have to be awesome. like in daycare 12 hours a day, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so so he was always very supportive of making sure that I didn't have stress when hmm. it came to focusing on my on my career. With the Echo, birth of Echo Select, he, you know, I think he had some reservations and rightfully so, um, but he knew worst case scenario, I'd go back yeah. to corporate America. So he was always about, hey, whatever it takes, just let me know how I can help. He did tell me he would never work for me. And about a year and a half after I started Echo, I convinced him to go on to a project. So he was a billable consultant for about seven years before I convinced him to help me out at the at, at headquarters. That's so great. That's so great. <laughs> so launch the business. You 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 had your go for it moment. Um, tell us kind of the early years, like how the business grew. What were maybe a couple big breaks? What were a couple maybe big challenges like what were what were those early years like as you got it rolling you know i i was really fortunate because i worked in it and so when i finished my business plan i went back to twa to a decision maker and showed him what i was wanting to do and he said well are you going to do this yourself and i go what do you mean he and he said, there's an old batch system. So remember, I, I did key punch cards in college. It was literally a wow. system. TWA was feeding in using key punch cards that they needed to modernize into a real-time online system. And he said, can you do that? I was like, sure. So I was I'm the in. first consultant. <laughs> and within a year, I had about 12 people working on different wow. projects there. That was a great break. You know, it Absolutely. literally took, it, it helped us to take off. 
I was self-funding. I only paid myself what I had been being, what I was paid when I worked at Sprint. Mm. And so the extra dollars were then used as operating reserves. Um, Here's the challenge. I didn't ever get a line of credit during that time. So when TWA um, filed for bankruptcy after flight 800 and I went to the bank saying I need a line of credit because I have all these outstanding invoices. They're like, no, um, they, we've, we've seen this story before. So, um, that, so the, the break was a great client. The challenge was when they had financial difficulty, Mm. then I had not done those things. So lesson learned, you ask for money when you really don't need it because they're willing to get you set up and and, and move forward. Um, I'm running to the bank right after this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) As you should. Um, The the other big break was um, after that, again, because I had worked um, and they knew what my work product was like, I went to Sprint. And they were starting up something that I knew was going to really help the company, and that was a Y2K. Remember Y2K? Oh, yeah. yeah. All the world is going to end, right? Yeah. Yep, yep. Well, and to be quite frank, there was a lot of situations where people had just put in one nine and didn't allow for the turning of the century. That's it crazy. also gave people, because the technology was changing, a chance to uh, tra- do a total business transformation using new platforms, new languages. So it was it was a good business case to go ahead and modernize anyways. The funny thing is that particular um, uh, modernization effort continues on. And so I, the reason we're staying in business and the reason mm. we continue growing, everybody's always modernizing. Technology's always, you know, moving forward. There are better ways, faster ways, more tools. So we stay in business because we have to stay fresh with all those tools and technologies and have the type have the resources that are able to provide those solutions to clients totally and 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 i can't wait to hear kind of the current state of the business because i I know some of what's going on and it's fascinating but it feels like and and maybe you can help me articulate my thought here but it feels like you know i I, i've i've as i've listened to you and i've known you as you've run the company you know blockbuster okay for an example had the stranglehold on video in home, right? People go there, they'd rent a movie, they take it home, they come back, they they right. They and so Blockbuster had a thousand steps ahead of any competitors. They had the built in infrastructure, they had the people, they had the systems, they had the relationships, but they didn't evolve and Netflix killed them and they literally put them out of business. Blockbuster should have been Netflix. It right. should be Blockbuster that we stream movies on our on our TVs with. And so I'm I'm just curious, like how have you, what like disciplines or habits or how have you stayed ahead of a very rapidly changing technological world from key punch cards in the <laughs> in the late 80s or whatever to whatever SQL servers and programmers and all this stuff that takes place today? Like how have you kind of stayed ahead of that curve? Well, the first thing I always do is recognize what I don't know mm. and make sure I have the right people that mm. do know where we're going as far as the technology. So, you know, my my era is a dinosaur era of what I knew. Of course, I know things from a high level, and I can speak, you know, C-level to C-level about the different solutions and transformations that are available. But I have really good people. And what we really have done, which I think has allowed us um, to be sustainable, is we have focused on making sure that our operating reserves always allow us to invest in the type of resources that we need so that we can compete. And so I can make a job offer to a person that 
they want to work for us. And mm. it's not just the the dollar salary, it's the benefits and all the things that you'd expect from a big, you know, global company. Mm. And that's what we have done. And we've maintained our profitability because we try to make sure that we are really smart in where we spend other dollars. Our ROI is really important. Super smart, super smart. Um, tell us a couple, I, I want to hear, we'll, we'll get real quickly to current state and what the business looks like in your new office, which I can't <laughs> wait to have everybody hear about. Um, but if I remember correctly, wasn't 9-11 a huge impact to your business? Tell, tell us yeah. kind of how, you know, a couple of the big hurdles that you guys had to, even as things got rolling and you, you were several years in, uh, I know that event in particular was a was a devastating blow not only to the country but it was a really yeah. challenging time for y'all right you know it's so funny because here it is the day after 9-11 and I can remember nine the morning of 9-11 so vividly um and hearing it on the radio uh. and just kind of being in shock we had multiple projects going on at that time and I remember thinking earlier in that year some of our biggest clients there that were and they were publicly traded companies their stock was starting to go down mm. and what happens when the value goes down they take a look at what they need to do in order to increase value so i was already a little concerned about were we going to have issues to in continuing to grow revenue with who we already did business with sure um and also we were really concentrating in the kansas city area at that time knowing that 9-11 hits, we're on these major projects, and it was the final straw that mm -hmm. those companies took a look and said, we're, we're not doing this. They cut those projects. So I went from having about 40-some people on high-paying project work on 9-11. On December 1st, I had eight people working oh as contractors and they were not they were, they were their hourly billable rate was very low i mean it was oh devastating gosh. and it was actually worse than just starting a company from scratch because when i started my company i, I literally had zero overhead um i officed out of my home mm -hmm. i was the only employee when you this happened what you needed to eat and yeah, right. exactly sure. when this happened i had leases and commitments uh. and all these other and, and employees i had companies go bankrupt on me so not only did i pay for people to work for those companies i paid those people and i had the double whammy of the bankruptcy oh so it was 2002 was really really tough mm. and it was literally all i could do to keep my head above water, stay optimistic, a lesson learned. I probably should have been very frank with my team and said, I have to release most of you. Mm. And it's and because I kind of dribbled releasing people, and what happened was we ate up a lot of our operating resources that we had to use our own personal savings through 2002 and beyond. And as I was releasing resources, ones they had a lot of resentment because they were good resources. Sure. I just didn't have to work there for them. Instead of just saying, this is what we're going to have to do, and this is how we're going to do it, and here's the method behind the madness. Mm. I think that would have been so much better. But hindsight's twenty twenty, and God forbid we ever have to do that again. Oh, totally. But now we know what we can do because it's hard enough to let someone go when they're really not performing well. But it's even worse oh. when they are they are a performer, but the work just isn't there. No, oh, it's terrible. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Um, man, what a what a tough deal. And so, luckily, here we sit, kind of knocking on the door of 2020, and 
Echo is in a drastically different place than 2002. So <laughs> what's Echo look like today? Tell us about the building, the team. Obviously, you're, you've grown far beyond the, the confines of Kansas City. Um, so tell us about Echo today. Well, um, gosh, I, I couldn't be more proud of where we are today, not only as a company, but the type of people involved with Echo Select. And that includes our clients. We have a very diversified portfolio. We do commercial, you know, private sector work as well as public sector, the government work. And offices, not just in Kansas City, with our new building in North Kansas City that I'm so proud uh, to have our team working out of, but also not only our headquarters here in Kansas City, but also offices in St. Louis and Washington DC. That's great. That's so great. How do you juggle the, you know, the the Jeanette influence? I mean, as the company's grown, what's the scope in terms of number of people, maybe number of clients? Like, and then more specifically, how do you prioritize where you spend your time in terms of what's the most impactful? Is it your leadership team and you let them do stuff? Like, I, I guess as a CEO, how have you navigated the the growth? First, we always make sure that our clients and the people supporting our clients are taken Mm -hmm. care of. So if there's ever um, a chink in the armor Mm -hmm. or we have scalability issues or it's not to the quality or standard that I expect, that gets my full attention. Those things get fixed, I moved on. So I expect my leadership team to follow what our core values are as far as excellence and delivery and and the way we do business. Um, If something comes to my attention, then I jump in. If it's going well, I let them do what they need to do. And so that's how we've kind of run the business. And so I'm kind of focused on whatever needs attention. Right now we're in a big technology assessment project because as we grow, some of the tools we have are not as scalable as others that I know are are best practices for our industry. So I'm, I'm in the thick of things right now. And that's the way I prioritize my time is just making sure that people know what my expectations are, helping them in, you know, defining the problem and uh, determining some options for solutions, but then also opening up doors. I know that my COO, uh, who is our oldest son, does a great job with revenue generation, but sometimes there is an issue or there might be an opportunity, and it's me reaching out, you know, to another seed level and making sure that they understand what we do and what our differentiator is and why they should, you know, we, we, don't ask anybody to um, take their loyalties. Mm. Um, how do I put this? We, we never approach a potential opportunity with asking somebody to discard um, relationships they already have. But yep. when the opportunity comes up, I would love for us to be considered. That's awesome. So smart. And it's, it's cool to see. How, how, how old is the company now? We're going to be 25 years old next year. Man, congrats. That's amazing. Yeah. So and we're 24, but yeah. I, 2020 is a big That's milestone awesome. year. That's yeah. awesome. Congrats. And, and here we are as babies. Toddlers kind of still learning how to walk at two and a half, almost three years old. And it, it's refreshing to hear your perspective 25 years in because – you've articulated something that, that we do, right? Like if, if there is a client issue, it's top of the list, no matter what else is going on. If we've got issues with personnel or our own website needs to get, whatever, whatever the other stuff is that there 
again, in two and a half years, is always it's, there always seems to be a big pile of other stuff. Right. When a client issue surfaces, and they do surface all the time <laughs> because we're humans and we make mistakes and they have expectations and we have issues or whatever it is, all of a sudden my full attention is on client. Because, hey, guess what? If there's no client, there's no business, right? And so um, it's really neat to hear. You have to take both sides of that equation. The client has to be happy, and the people supporting that client have to be happy. Totally. Because if one of those factors are off, you may be off. Absolutely. It's brilliant. That's brilliant advice. So tell us about your building. So, yeah, I wanna, we want to hear about it. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. It's, uh, it was built in the late 1800s. It's a two-story all-brick building. Um, and it's right across the street from this really new, cool Austin type of concept called Iron District, which is they take boxcars and it's mm. a food court slash music and some local vendors. So we're so excited because that area is really growing and we're going to be, you know, in the thick of things. So we put this huge deck. My husband's very proud to say he has the biggest deck in North Kansas City. <laughs> love and it. so um, you, our associates love it. And when we moved in, I had somebody who was a fairly new associate come to me and she was like, I just want to thank you because coming into this building, knowing that you own it, mm. makes me feel so good about the stability of the company and that, that I can call this home for a long time. Oh, man, that's so cool. And, and I do think it's a testament to, um, to the way that people, especially younger than, than us, want to be involved in a company. That it's not just about the job and the money and the thing or where they sit or if they're in a cube or an office or whatever. All that stuff's important, right? But they want to be swept up into this bigger story or this culture. Like, how, how have you held that rope all of these years around the importance of the culture you're building? I find that if people feel you genuinely care about them, they will care about you. And that doesn't apply to everybody. Some people are very focused on me, 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 what's in it for me. Mm. And you need all types to make your company run. But I really want everybody to feel valued. Even uh, when somebody is not performing well, we work very hard yeah. to make sure that we can coach. I really give people the benefit of doubt. And I think that we do a couple of things really well in making sure that everybody understands that when they're not performing well, they're hurting the person they're sitting next to. Mm -hmm. That's part of the team, and we're all in this together. So I really love the energy in our office. Like, you walk in, you can feel it. For sure, absolutely. And, it, and, it, and it, I mean, again, I think it it obviously stems from you, but even at the, the former office where, where I worked there for a short time before this new building, you, you are a paradigm shifter in a tech landscape. Tech technology is typically known for obviously pretty modern and cutting edge and all that, but even your choice of colors and furniture. And uh, again, you've, you've injected that personality. And so I think you've nailed it. Your, your, the energy that your team brings is a direct result of, I think the energy you bring. So how do you, it's a good segue. So how do you maintain the energy? You've been doing this 25 years. I feel your, even today, kind of this um, optim optimism and this abundant mentality. Like what, what are some daily practices or some kind of lifestyle things that you've uh, done that have kind of kept that energy going all these years? You know, um, I can't say enough about being healthy. Mm. If you're healthy, there's so much you can do. If you're not healthy, you're battling something, whether it's mental or physical, 
mm-hmm. or relationship, emotional, it, it weighs you down. So I'm very, very fortunate. I come from a very strong family, strong family values. I have a supportive husband, um, and my kids are healthy and happy. So happiness doesn't have to do with dollars. It has to do with a sense of maybe contentment, maybe. Mm. So I know that I don't have to worry about those things. And even during tough times, like when my mother battled cancer, that drew me down a little bit. You also have to pull yourself up and think about everybody else in your day-to-day, how what you do affects them. So I think I have a pretty good attitude. I'm, I'm a glass-half-full person. I'm always looking for silver lining. Um, I heard a great comment. You know, they, you have lemons, you make lemonade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard if you have lemons, grab the salt and tequila. <laughs> That's awesome. But I, I have a really good attitude. I, I'm just like anybody else that, you know, there are times I overindulge or don't sleep enough or whatever, and I always try to get back on track. And I think if you're just mindful of those things that weigh you down, when, it, you know, if you, if you overindulge or you don't work out and you don't feel good – there's a new day and it starts right now. Isn't it crazy how, and I'm, I'm learning this through, through sometimes through the hard way, but isn't it crazy how the, the daily simple things like getting enough sleep, eating food that looks like real food and it's not fried and moving your body, sweating, like reading yeah. a good book, turning your damn phone off. Like it, it, it's fascinating that even to hear a super, super successful nationally known CEO is like, 6 a.m., you're up doing spin or whatever on Saturdays, right? Like, what, what you have, like, some kind of even daily practices that you, that you take I, care of. I try to get up around 4.30 or 5 every morning, and I do teach spin in the morning. So I find um, being able to teach still after all these years. I've been teaching since I got out of college. So that's a long, long time. But choreography and music allows my brain to think a very different way. It gives you that that heart sweat, and it takes my mind, uh, it gives me a relief from some other things that may stress me out. So exercise is really important. It's easy to run through and get fast food. I love a McDonald's double cheeseburger more than anybody else in this world. Who doesn't? You know, I mean, I wish I could say I was a vegetarian. I only eat organic. But, uh, you know, if I indulge in something like that, and typically when I do, I don't feel very good. Um, But I, I also like really healthy things, and I like to cook. So there are things that you can do. And if you, if you don't like to cook or do some of those things, there's, there's ways that you can put health into your life because whether it's sleep or working out or food or a combination of all those, those are an underlying foundation to being healthy. And if you feel good about yourself, then it just, it just emits. Yeah. So well said. So well said. So let's shift gears a little bit because I think it ties into this conversation perfectly is your involvement in the community. So for those who know Jeanette, it is a good chance that you would run into her at a banquet or an event or a happy hour or a cocktail party or a leadership dinner four or five nights a week, maybe (laughs) during the busy season. Um, So I guess start with your investment in the community. You're on a thousand boards. You're you're (laughs) very committed. Um, And then kind of go into how you and Kevin have, have juggled that. I mean, it, it is, it is a sacrifice of your, own personal time of your own relationship time um how have you guys navigated that all these years and 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 why is that investment in the community so important to you guys 
I have always felt that if you have the opportunity to give back, you give back. Mm. And in different stages in life, there are different things, ways you can give back. And they say, call it the three T's, time, talent, and treasure. So good. So, you know, I've been able to do that early in or the growth of Echo Select. I did put a lot of my time and talent into mm. organizations. Um, now, because we are successful, we write checks that mm. are for things that are meaningful to us. And we take a look at everything that affects our community, mm. whether it's um, education, healthcare, um, entrepreneurism, cultural uh, opportunities we take a look at how we help with the fiber of our community so good so good so give our f- listeners an, uh, an idea of some of the boards you serve on um how you make those decisions i'm sure my guess is there's lots of people pulling at your time and wanting time from you so how do you filter those those asks how do you learn right. is it hard to say no do you say no <laughs> what, what's yeah. that look like I, according to my husband the only person I say no to is him <laughs> we um take a look at uh, a multitude of factors it was easier when I wasn't asked to do as much and I would take a look at do, and I still look at this at, at, the, at the end of the day whatever organization that I've committed to do I believe in the mm. mission so if I believe in the mission, then I'll make that commitment based on the time. And then if I don't have the time, but I want to help them, I will see if there's somebody else on our executive team that might be able to support them so that they still get the dollars, they still get input. Now um, I'm on you know multiple boards here in Kansas City, plus national boards. And I thought the national boards might be easier because it's like, oh, it'd only be twice a year. It's like, yeah, for three days. <laughs> and I chaired, you know, this committee or that. But, and I, I say this all the time, where there's a will, there's a way. You figure it out. If it's, you know, sorry, I won't be able to look at that till the weekend, that's okay. They're just grateful that they're getting whatever it is that you're able to give them. There, you're right. There's my husband calls it um, not for profit season, and there's several times during the year where you know there's double and triple bookings night after night, and he doesn't really care for that stuff. And sometimes I'll just give him a pass because he yep. doesn't like doing all that you know air kissing and handshaking. <laughs> but I like I love I love people, mm. and I love to support things that are important to me. And if I'm physically available, I will, and I commit, then I'll be there and I show up. So good. And I think it, um, I, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. Does that involvement, it's altruistic, it's the right thing to do, it's benevolent, it's kind. Does it also lead to the growth of your company? Does it lead to revenue? In, 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 maybe even in indirect ways. Um, and, and again, I know that's not the motive that right. you have, but I, I think... What I'm getting at is as we build our company, as we grow, I keep saying like, hey, we want to be friends first with whoever, like partners, we'll do stuff free, we'll do stuff at no charge, we'll do stuff at crazy reduced rates. Um, and, and sometimes people think we're nuts, but I'm like, look, I'm playing the long game, man. I'm playing the 40 year down the road game, not the, hey, can we drive a bunch of revenue next month? Um, so I'd, I'd just be curious to hear kind of your feedback on the power of relationship as it relates to economics. Well, I will tell you, 
I have never been a fan of somebody who sits on a board and then tries to do business um, with the other board members. Like, that's the first thing that they, that they want to do. And I've been on boards where I come on and somebody is hitting me up. And I, it's like, that's Wait, not yeah. the reason we're sitting on the, around this table. Um, and I've always looked at it that my first thing is to try to be productive and to meet the expectations they have of me as a board member. Mm-hmm. So back to your point, you, you, there's a relationship there. Early on, I was approached by different board members that said, gosh, I, it's been so nice to hear what you have to say and your input. Tell me more about your business. And when they approach me about it, that's fine, but that's not the way I go in. And I've also been asked to help with things that um, have been profitable to our company, mm. and I've asked to shelve it until after I'm off the board. I never want anybody to think that I'm going into something so it can benefit me financially or Echo Select financially. Mm. What I want to do is to be really productive for that board. There are things that happen because you build those relationships and other people on the board see what you do and they see what value you bring to it and then they want to know more about you and your company and that's all good. And Mm. so I love the fact that if you, you do good, Sometimes you get something back, it's good karma. But going into anything, I'm looking at the mission of the organization. So great. I love it. Um, you, you triggered a thought to me, <clears throat> and I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful this resonates. How have you, I think there's this, this belief that mixing, and, and probably for many, 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 many good reasons, but that there's this hesitance to mix family and business. I think you guys are the exception where you've done a tremendous job of, of modeling what that looks like in a healthy way. Um, but I'm sure it's not always easy. So how have you kind of, um, in, in lines that sometimes could get blurred, it's a Sunday night and you guys are on the boat. Like practically, do you guys talk about work when it's not work time? Like what, what does that look like and how, as, as you know, younger companies are trying to grow up to be like you guys, what advice would you give them in terms of kind of the family dynamic? You know, it's multi-generational. First I started, then Mm -hmm. I brought my husband in. Uh, Fairly early on when the boys were in college, they said they wanted to work in the business. So there were a couple of parameters. One, they had to have a college degree. Two, I wanted them to work for publicly traded companies before Mm. they worked at Echo Select. And the reason was I wanted them to see best practices, things they like, things they didn't like. You you know, just because you want to go do something at 5.30 doesn't mean you get to leave at 5 o'clock. Right. And you, you don't have that um, flexibility in bigger companies. And, and you don't have it even in my company. There yeah. are times the yeah. client wants something. And my biggest um, goal for both of my sons was that they were marketable. Mm. They had skills working at Echo Select and that they were able to grow into a path where if for whatever reason there was not an Echo Select, they could make a living based on the skills and experience that they have. That's great. And you mentioned the the six grandkiddos. First of all, personally, what do they call you? What's your what's your name to them? Well, um, they call me Mimi, and if they Love say it. grandma, um, they can see it in my face. And so <laughs> my daughter-in-laws take great joy in having them say grandma out in public every once in a while. Just to make you <laughs> mad. <laughs> I love it. So as, as it, was there a point in the business where you 
shifted from kind of this, hey, we need to build revenue and grow and be successful and financially healthy and all that to maybe this kind of legacy type. What you mentioned very early on in our conversation that, hey, maybe this is something the grandkids are involved in at some point. Like, did your mentality shift from kind of um, success to significance maybe at some point? Or, or, or was that a journey? Like, what, is, what does that look like? So I said earlier that Kansas City is just such a great entrepreneurial city. And I did very early on take a look at those companies that are success stories. Hallmark, the Hall family, H&R Block, J.E. Dunn. Totally. I mean, you, you can go down the list. And some things that worked out really well and some things that didn't, which is one of the reasons I wanted both of my boys to be marketable. They are able to sustain themselves somewhere else. Um, I also have six grandchildren. How does that work? So we have succession planning. I have an executive coach that works with us in regards to multi-generational. How will that work? What are the parameters that are going to be defined so that in fairness, if, you know, all six of them want to work there and there aren't, six positions, what what do you yeah. do? It's not a matter of I love you. It's a matter of what is best in order to make sure that everybody who has a job has a job for the right reason. That's great. That's not, and I'm sure that's been tricky to navigate, but it's really cool to hear that, that story. It's really helpful. I think that one of the things um, that stuck with me a long time ago when Carl Schramm was the CEO of Kaufman Foundation mm. Uh, he was so kind, and one of the lunches uh, I had in his office, he said, you know, I, I really feel sorry for you in that your position as CEO and founder is much more difficult because you're also a mother, and you have your boys in the business, and you would like to make sure that if it works out to be a multi-generational company, you navigate that in a way that the family dynamics oh, stays man. intact. Yeah, absolutely. That would be tricky, super tricky. Good night. Um, well, we, we are uh, so grateful for your time, and, and we know that you've got a million other things to do. So let's try to wrap up. The, the last question before we kind of do our speed story round. Um, if you could kind of go back and write a letter to 16- or 18-year-old Jeanette, um, knowing what you do now about life and community and family and business, what, what are maybe some of the components of, of the letter that you would write? 18-year-old Jeanette Pringer as she was, well, it wasn't Jeanette Pringer at the time. No, number it was one. Jeanette, Jeanette Hernandez. Hernandez. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So you would write, Dear Jeanette Hernandez, what, what, would, what would be anything in that letter that you would write to her? Gosh, you know, if I had to sit down and write a letter to myself as, and I'm reading it as a 16-year-old, as an 18-year-old, I think the one thing I would make sure I would emphasize is Never let down the people who love you. Mm. Mm. Because if you think about that for every decision, it'll keep you on a good ethical and moral compass. That's so good. I can feel your emotion. And and even as you said that, that's awesome. So as we wrap up, we ask all of our guests the same five questions. Uh Some of them are silly. Some of them are serious. Um, So let's roll. What is the last book that you read or listened to? Or a book that's been impactful in your in your journey. Gosh, you know what? I just brought one on vacation and realized I'd already read it. Um, it was a James <laughs> Patterson. I can't even think of the title, but into the first chapter, I'm like, darn it. <laughs> I will tell you the most impactful book I've ever read was Atlas Shrugged. 
absolutely love it. It was just a beast to get through initially, so, yeah. but it was it was really one of the things that helped me make determinations on how a society has to function and what mm. those parameters are. You can't be real right and you can't be real left. That's awesome. I love it. My, my mother-in-law's pushed that book on me a couple of times and I've been like, yeah, I don't know, man. Um, so put I need it, to read it. I need it to read it on your iPad or your Kindle or whatever, okay. because then you're not lugging around this huge book with it's like a dictionary. Print. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and after it was literally that, that's what you're going to have to do. That's awesome. <laughs> um, <clears throat> what would you do now if you weren't afraid? Is there something that, that you feel like fear would hold you back from doing? I think there's kind of this theme about entrepreneurship of like, Hey, we got to go for it. And, 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 the definition of going forward is to go kind of push through fear. So is there anything that you would do right now if you weren't afraid? Run for public office. Boom. Jeanette Pringer 2020. You heard it here first. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love that. Yeah. Wait a second. You know what I'm afraid of? I did not make good decisions back earlier, which is why. Come on. No kidding. (laughs) Right. So that letter to the 16 or 18 year old would be, if you never, ever want anybody to know something embarrassing, don't do it. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Um, What's one thing that if someone knew about you, they'd be like, man, that's funny or that's weird or that's goofy. I don't know that about Jeanette. I can't believe that she actually does that. Um, when I was eight years old, I played the accordion and it oh. probably weighed as much as I did. That's awesome. <laughs> we got to have a picture of that. Yeah. We got to find one. Um, what is your favorite place on earth? Probably the island I was born in, Trasada Azores, off the coast of Portugal. Oh I my absolutely gosh. love it. How many times have you been? Um, oh, a lot. Awesome. Last year, I think I was back three times during the course of the year. You have family I, there still? or, or where? I don't have any family okay. in, in that island. I do have family in other islands in the Azores. Yeah. Oh, that sounds amazing. I want to go. All right, last question, and it's kind of a heavy one. When it's all said and done, what do you want to be remembered for? Be nice. Mm. Mm, I love it. Well, Jeanette, in closing, um, if someone wanted to find out more about you or the company, where would they kind of socially stalk you? Oh how how would they find you? You know, um, I my LinkedIn, which now that you just said that, it's like, gosh, I need to update it. LinkedIn is one place. We can help um, you with that. I will tell you something really cute. My grandson, uh, my oldest grandson, when he received an iPad at school a couple of years ago, I remember coming into the kitchen and my daughter-in-law was like, hey, Charlie got an iPad. And I go like, oh my gosh, Charlie, what have you been doing? And he turned really red. And I'm like, I looked at his mom and she goes, tell her what you've been doing. And he, he just kind of was like, kind of grinning. And she goes to me, he's been Googling you. No way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So I thought that was really cute. I guess you could Google me. Yeah, you can Google Jeanette Pringer. My guess is you will find, um, excuse me, a very high-ranking list of top minority-owned businesses in Kansas City, top woman-owned businesses in Kansas City, potentially her Fox News interview. Um, And if we do our job right, at some point you will find her interview on Guilt Stories on Google. So, uh, Jeanette, really, really, really grateful. You've shed a ton of insight and care and and genuine kindness. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, genuine kindness. Now, that's what I want to be remembered for. (laughs) I love it. Thanks, Jeanette. Thanks. Thanks, y'all. We really appreciate you listening today. What a fun show with Jeanette. We know you have tons of places where you can give your attention, so thanks for being here with us. If you'd be so kind, please leave us a review and subscribe to the show. 
And a big thanks to Jeanette Pringer, founder and CEO of Echo Select. What a great story she has. Until the next show, let your life tell a great story. Thanks for listening.